When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Time for another episode of the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. I'm Ray Coop. I'm Marcus Goldman. Thanks to our sponsors, as always, for helping to make it go here every time we crack the mic in the Dark Doc Media Studios. This time out, we're going to talk about a band that is one of the biggest names in rock and roll and pop music. They've transcended everything through the decades. And we'll talk about where they are here in the year 2023 after losing a key member. We're talking about Fleetwood Mac on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. Yeah, this will be a really fun episode before the world-famous top-of-the-world incarnation of Fleetwood Mac. I didn't know as much about their music. I first got exposed to them when Bob Welch was with the band. Sentimental Lady was a song that I heard, and then he went off and did it differently as a solo artist, and I ended up getting that 45 because I can't remember the song that was on the B-side, but it was really good, too. And I ended up getting Fleetwood Mac's version of Sentimental Lady on like a KTEL album that also had the BG's wow. How Can wow. You Mend a Broken Heart and songs like that and it was a weird compilation of tunes but I loved that record and I really was introduced to them there but didn't get into them more until we got like rumors at our house and my parents started playing that all the time. Before you get anywhere near that point it's like ACDC sang. It's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll, man. Not an easy way to go, even in a fertile time like the 60s and 70s, which is the period we're talking about on the Imbalance History this week for Fleetwood Mac. You know, Marcus, I bet you dollars for donuts that there's a ton of people listening right now that don't know who Peter Green is in the history of Fleetwood Mac. I would have to agree with you on that. I mean, it's not I, I, Fleetwood Green or Green and Mac, right? No, but originally it was Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac. Peter Green was born in Bethnal Green in East London in October 46. And in 1967, he formed Fleetwood Mac with Mick Fleetwood. Now, they played together in other bands. Okay. You mentioned while we were on the ramp up before we broke the mics, Peter B's Lunars and the Shotgun Express, which was a short-lived R&B rock and roll group featuring that young whippersnapper Roderick Stewart before he was in anything. He was in this band with these guys, right? Yeah. Can you believe as we continue to dive into this time period, how many of these musicians have played with each other over the all years? Over the it's yes. seriously crazy. And they've all remained good chaps over the years for the most part. 
But wait, Marcus, the plot thickens because Peter Green is tapped by John Mayall, the godfather of British blues, right? He and the blues breakers to take the guitar chair when Clapton left to form Cream. This is like moving amongst the blues rock gods of England. And there he is in the blues breakers. And it's also worth noting that all the axe slingers of the time all looked at Peter Green as the authentic guy amongst them, including Clapton. Also in the Blues Breakers around this time is a guy named John McVie. You might have heard of him. He's the Mac in Fleetwood Mac. And he and Fleetwood join up with Peter Green for this new band he has in mind, this Fleetwood Mac. It's named after them and a song that they did. If you are only familiar with the Rumors era of Fleetwood Mac, would not recognize that sound because it was a straight-up ass-kicking blues rock and roll band. And they played hard and they played beautiful. And go back and listen to it if you are not familiar with it. We're going to tell the tale somewhat chronologically because it is the imbalanced history of rock and roll, after all. We'll do our best. Um, <laughs> yes, but not unlike other stories that we have told on this podcast, Marcus, uh, the LSD factor is pretty large because at one point, and this is towards the end of his time in Fleetwood Mac, he wrote the song The Green Manalishi on LSD. While struggling with his LSD use, he became withdrawn. Sound familiar, Sid Barrett, anyone? Mm-hmm. Enhancing mental illness that might already be there. Plus, he also wrote Black Magic Woman, which was later made famous by Mr. Carlos Santana. Got a black magic woman. Got a black magic woman. Yes, I got a black magic woman. Got me so blind I can't see. But she's a black magic woman and she's trying to make a devil out of me. Got a black magic woman. Got a black magic woman. I've got a black magic woman. Got me so blind I can see. That she's a black magic woman. She's trying to make a devil out of me. These songs stood out. And the song that stood out early and got a lot of us involved is the song Oh Yeah, which also became more popular from the live version on the later day Fleetwood Mac live album. shape I'm in. I can't sing. I ain't pretty and my legs are thin. But don't ask me what I think of you. I might not give the answer that you want me to. But I digress. The first album drops in February of 1968, the self-titled Fleetwood Mac, which I think most people know now as Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac is the title of it. That's what they were originally known as, even though the album said Fleetwood Mac. Everybody called them Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac. Now, that album and the second album, Mr. Wonderful, were drenched in the blues of Elmore James and Robert Johnson. Gotta keep moving. Gotta keep moving. 
And Howling Wolf, their own ideas too, Green Stuff, was very authentic. And Green wrote authentic blues songs that didn't match the masters, but was right in there. And something else about these albums, young Christine Perfect does some uncredited piano parts, bluesy stuff on those first two Fleetwood Mac albums. And as you know, and we'll tell people who don't, Christine Perfect later became Christine McVie, the songbird. This is early on, before she's credited. And then, then play on. Signs of life. They're connecting out there. Oh, well, parts one and two gets added to the U.S. version after it hit big in England where they were still in the singles, right? That's true. You could feel the Helen Wolf influence, and I really hear that straight Chicago dirty blues, and I think they do a great job capturing the Chicago blues vibe and giving it their own little spin or bending it, so to speak. Well, they started out with Green and Bob Brunick, who really never made it out of the starting gate. Somewhere in there, Peter Green hooked up with Jeremy Spencer, who was an original member, a great slide player, but his singing wasn't really propelling the band when he got up front on songs. And something I didn't know, when they first formed the band, before I guess it got named, John McVie wasn't going to join. He wanted to stay with the Blues Breakers. I guess Mick convinced him the future was with this Peter Green guy. And so they went. You ever sit and wonder when we talk about these things, if guys like Bob Brunig, who was the bass player before John McVie decided to come over with Mick and the gang, what those guys talk about, what they think about their brief dalliance with superstardom, et cetera? It's hard to think like that because it almost seems like Fleetwood, McVie, and... uh, Peter Green were supposed to be together doing what they were supposed to do. And it just feels like that's how it was supposed to play out almost. And I don't know if that's accurate or if it just worked out that way, but it just almost feels that way looking back. And as we've seen before, Marcus, with bands that have changing members throughout the decades, it was about to happen in Fleetwood Mac with the departure, little bit by little bit, of Jeremy Spencer. Danny Kerwan, a hot young guitarist, is recruited by Peter Green to be the other side of his rock and roll thing here. And honestly, I think they start to make some creative headway when Kerwan comes in. I don't know why. It just feels different to me. And the albums start to show progress in a time when everybody had time to make progress and do artist development. Yeah, it seems that in some ways the direction of the band changed a little bit after Kerwan joined the band because they evolved in a way that was towards what they were going to become. Not as straight, heavy blues, and that ass-kicking blues is beautiful, but they changed a little bit and started moving into the direction. And I'm sure adding Christine Perfect, or Christine McVie as we know her, helped change that, and maybe she doesn't get as much credit for the change of the band at that time period. But she Helping to define it, really. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, Marcus, I think in that era, bands didn't know if they were heading in the right direction. They were just going forward because there was no perspective of time and all these other bands out there. They were the only ones doing this. And if you're looking for something that kind of crystallizes where they were in this period, look at the live album. It's called Fleetwood Mac in Chicago. Other titles are Blues Jam in Chicago. And it's that era, you know, and they employ some of the Chicago guys like Willie Dixon and Otis Spann. 
And uh, I think uh, Buddy Guy was on a track or two as well. To come in and be part of the jam on stage, authentic blues guys, that's how badly they want it. They were doing that, you know, doing that live album to come across as authentic guys because they had the authentic guys on stage with them. Pretty heavy. And Peter Green wanted to do what Eric had done with Cream, and he wanted to take the blues to that stratospheric level. But it wasn't happening still. And I think that fueled part of his frustration when he exits. And ironically, Jeremy Spencer returns on Kiln House in 1970. And Christine is in those sessions, but not officially a member till after the recordings. And then she and John become McVees together, right? Yeah. And I think, again, her songwriting and her playing style may have really impacted the direction that they were going to go because she didn't have that hard blues style that fit with that hard bluesy sound that they had. She had a groove, a smoothness, an eloquence to her style. And vocally, she provided that different edge that they hadn't had before. So with her in the fold officially, Danny's in the band fronting things, they bring in Bob Welch. He joins up after, as he said, living on rice and beans and sleeping on the floor somewhere in France. He passes the audition at the Fleetwood Mac compound in England and joins the band virtually on the spot. And these two factors are a considerable change from where Fleetwood Mac started out, right? You bring in Christine Perfect, then McVie. Bob Welsh, all the other changes as well. But look how we got here. Future games, good stuff. They lived at the Benefold Estate at that time with the Rolling Stones truck parked right outside, Marcus, and they were working with Martin Birch, who became more famous as Iron Maiden's producer later. But there he was, helping Fleetwood Mac define their way with the albums that would define this era of the band, starting with Bare Trees. It got radio play, it had hit tracks, the title track especially, and the one that got you in the Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, that was on side number two, Sentimental Lady, right after Bear Trees. And some of the other songs that really stood out during my re-listening to this album, Homeward Bound, which Christine McVie sings. I really like Child of Mine. I like uh, Spare Me a Little of Your Love. Man, she writes some beautiful songs, Christine McVie does. And Next up is the Penguin record, also recorded at their place in Benefold with the Stones truck. Bob Weston is on vocals. Bob who? <laughs> Dave Walker is on guitars. Dave, what? <laughs> These are guys who got to be in Fleetwood Mac, dude. Yeah. Don't question. They just did. Still, hunkered down at Benefold, they return to do Mystery to Me. The song Hypnotize breaks big for this era of the band with Bob Welch singing. Yes, the same kind of story that seems to come down from long ago. Friends having coffee together when something flies by their window. It might be out on that lawn, which is wide at least half of the playing field. Because there's no explaining what your imagination can make you see and feel. Somebody likes nothing, but God knows. 
Weston, by the way, stays. He likes being in Fleetwood Mac. This era of the band's prime. So far, looking pretty good. For people who were listening to the FM dial at that time, things were still kind of semi-underground, and they were part of that. People really liked what they added to the fabric of that musical era. The question was, once they went top 40 with Sentimental Lady and songs like that, what was going to happen to their reputation with the underground radio scene? Well, Heroes Are Hard to Find with Bob Welsh and the core trio seemed to go pretty well, but Bob went solo. Marcus the Calendar says 1974 and something made the band think we should move to L.A. They were moving up. They had been on the Reprise label and were moving to the Warner Brothers mother label as well, all at the same time when Welsh left and went solo. And along come these Buckingham Knicks kids with their self-titled record filled with great songs and performances, and they join the band. And everything goes to a level that I don't think anybody ever conceived of, even Peter Green. Mick Fleetwood found out about the Buckingham-Knicks combination by checking out Sound City Studios over in Van Nuys in the autumn of 74. Keith Olson had played him a track. He was the sound engineer or one of the sound engineers over yeah. at Sound City, and he played Frozen Love from the album for him. And the dude liked it, and so they ended up talking to Lindsey Buckingham, and Mick was like, hey, man, you want to join our band? He's like, yes, but you have to bring my girlfriend and singer Stevie Nicks with and he said, okay. And he had ears because when he heard what they sounded like together, it was absolutely what they were looking for. Mm-hmm. And later in the podcast, we can discuss a question I have about the move and a number of other things before we get out of here. I want to discuss the what ifs, if you will, of the Fleetwood Mac story on this episode of the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. I love talking about this. I love all the music. But before we get into the meat of the matter, I think I need a beer, dude. Back with the Mac after this. Ho, 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 Marcus. It's that time of year, a Crooked Eye Brewery in the heart of Hatboro. Time for Santa's arrival and all the joy and yuletide cheer all in one place there as the holiday season gets into full swing at Crooked Eye. Ray, I know you get totally stoked for the holiday season, and we know that people like to gather with their friends, with their family, and Crooked Eye, right in the heart of Hatboro, a great place to gather for the holidays. They have a great selection of beers, they have their local spirits, they've got food, live music, all the stuff that makes a great gathering place. And here in the holiday season, they are setting up the celebration of 10 years of pouring the cure for what ails you right there at York and Montgomery and Hapro coming up in February, 10 years of Crooked Eye. And in March, it's five years of us as a podcast, believe it or not. And they've been with us almost since the very beginning. So we go together at the five and 10 celebration coming up in the new year, things to look forward to in 2024. But really, we just want to thank Paul and Paul and everybody there at Crooked Eye uh, for their support this week and every week for forever, basically, and wish them all a very happy Yuletide season, and we'll see you soon. Don't forget, if you're looking for a great place to get together with a friend or family, Crooked Eye in the heart of Hathorough. Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. 
Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Ray and Mark is back on the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. This week, we're talking about Fleetwood Mac. And you know, man, we always tell people to put on the album, listen to the whole thing. Well, we do a lot of that when we're getting ready to do these podcast episodes, reminding ourselves, relearning things all the time. But let me say that from the opening chords of Monday morning as a Fleetwood Mac fan, you knew everything was going to be different from now on for this band. Absolutely. A whole new voice, a whole new style, a whole new energy, which was explosive, positive, chaotic, and crazy at the same time. And it really worked for this band, and they put it together right away. There was magic with this group of people. It was their 10th album, but it was the second one just named Fleetwood Mac. It became known as the White Album. A lot of people snickered about that because the Beatles thing, but it was easier than trying to explain. Oh yeah, it's their 10th album, but it's a self-titled album. I'm just saying what I heard that they put together with Keith Pogo Olsen, song after song, just incredible. There's no way to really calculate what it did to my head the first time I heard it, the 10th time, 100th time I heard it. Just an amazing album packed with songs that all have different textures and feelings. I don't think anybody was thinking, maybe even not the band members, that this is the sound that Fleetwood Mac would be coming out with even after we had done the catch-up that you had to do in those days on the information about who Buckingham and Nicks were. Man, nobody was complaining once they got done with side one. I think everybody immediately turned over and played side two and then went back and played side one again. I think it was one of those albums immediately for the large majority of fans. That is the exact sound. And when you have songs like Rhiannon into Over My Head back to back, are you kidding me? Here's the thing about how this thing flowed. You got a man's voice that you didn't know in Lindsey Buckingham's Monday Morning into Warm Ways, a soft feeling song from Christine, right? Blue Letter.
Then the Stevie Nicks step into the mic for the first time in people's ears. It's Rhiannon, for Christ's sake. in the over my head another christine song in crystal when you get to the middle of side two you're thinking what am i listening to here landslide into world turning alone These new guys have come in and totally changed things for the better. Time's a hundred. It's great. And then they wrap up with Sugar Daddy and I'm So Afraid. And you're like, holy shit, this album is so good. I need to listen to it again. And that's what we did. The singles, one after another, commercial performance. It's just crazy over the top. Before it was all done, Marcus, they had sold over 7 million copies of this album. And everybody was thinking, man, this is great. Can you believe this? Look at how great we're doing. They had no idea what was coming, did they? Not a clue, Ray. It's funny because they did a lot of the work in those days at that studio where they first kind of got turned on to Buckingham and Nick's. But for this next album, Rumors, they were all over the country, recording here, there, and everywhere to make this amazing album that easily is one of the best albums of the 70s and certainly one of the biggest selling albums of all time. I don't know what the number is, but it's over 10 million copies just in the U.S. and still counting. It's well over 40 million worldwide. This album came together as everybody in the band was ending their marriages and their relationships, and it was pure chaos with a lot of cocaine and booze. All we knew is that hell was flying out there in Sausalito at the record plant. Everywhere they went, there was all kinds of trouble. Marriages were breaking up, as you said. This band member wasn't talking to this one because he slept with her and she slept with them. And at some point, Marcus, the rumors in the press fueled the anticipation for what this album was going to be. People were already waiting for it, but the anticipation grew to an unbelievable level. And then when it hits and all these amazing hits are on it, damn! The most amazing thing to me was that they managed to survive the whole thing. The fame, the money, the drugs, the problems, the infidelities, all of it. But they did somehow. I still remember when my parents got rumors and how excited everybody was because we had probably heard one or two songs on the radio and the anticipation for this album, I think, amongst the adults in the 70s, like our parents and stuff was very huge. I know the music-loving kids were pretty excited about this as well, but the songs all the way through are powerful. They're beautiful. They're moving. They're filled with the emotion. You feel all of the emotion, the love 
love, the hate, the anger, the pain. You feel every mm. bit of it in this album. Every icy stare. Yeah. And the truth turned out to be more unbelievable than the actual rumors that were swirling around. There's a lot of spite fucking going on. Let's just say that. And everybody laughed all the way to the bank, the tours, everything. And then at the end of it all, I think, you know, they must have just sat there and all looked at each other and went, fuck you guys. I'm leaving. You know, I need a break because it had been a pressure cooker since they went into the studios and started writing about. And they were writing about the stuff, like you said, that was going on. You know, calling each other out in songs and then going in the studio and playing and singing together on it. Oh, my God. Amazing thing. Stevie Nicks sang the chain straight to Lindsay Buckingham's face every single night on stage. And he had to look at her while she was singing directly to him about him. And he had to play this kick ass guitar every gosh darn night they were on stage. He couldn't go to the wings and hide, Marcus. He had to stand there because his solo was coming up after that. <laughs> And uh, talk about touring. They were the hottest ticket in the world mm-hmm. at one point. And I did not get to see them in their original iteration on the first go round. When they reunite in the 2000s, I finally got to see them. I got to see them a couple times with those five together. And there's a magic that they have on stage. It was there then and pretty much all the way through. I don't know what Fleetwood Mac is today. But we're not done talking about the 1970s, Marcus, because Fleetwood Mac has one more album to deliver. And on the back of the single album rumors that has been their biggest, most unbelievable, successful album then and since they deliver the double album Tusk. I'll just say that at the time, the criticism of the album was it would have been an amazing follow up to rumors as a single, but as a double. Do you agree with that? Having spent time with the album this week, I kind of do. I remember that that was the review at the time and listening back this week, I kind of get it. But to be dismissive might cause you to miss songs like Sisters of the Moon or Think About Me or the groundbreaking title track. Think about it, Marcus. The song Tusk liberated every fucking marching band in America. It helped them to play rock songs. It helped them to justify to the band directors that we can play rock songs. Look, the USC band played Tusk. They're on a Fleetwood Mac album. And now we know what goes on today. You hear Seven Nation Army every time you walk into any stadium in America. And it all goes back to Tusk. I remember getting that double album as a kid. My parents didn't even buy it. I bought it because I was so excited for this record. And What was your impression after you listened? As a young kid, I was blown away by the fact that they released a double album, but songs like Sarah really stood out. Wait a minute, baby. Stay with me a while. Said you'd give me life, but you never told me about the fire.
Tusk, I still love hearing that song, and I still get excited when that song great. comes on a mix. It's just a great song. And then you have Angel, which also Honey High, Christine McVie on vocals. Just some really beautiful music all the way through. Next up is the live album, and that causes the comeback for Oh Well, right? With Lindsay singing it, recorded on their 1979 tour Behind Tusk, the Peter Green song becomes a hit for the third time. Also, on the deluxe edition of that album that they later released in 2021, they have Lindsey Buckingham singing the Green Monolishi in Oklahoma City. Mm. I just love that song. And it's funny because it came from Fleetwood Mac. They kind of took it back, but Judas Priest still owns that sucker. I'm telling you. Now when the day goes to sleep and the full You know what, Marcus? The second half of the 70s has been one hell of a ride for the members of Fleetwood Mac. And they arrive in 1982 with their 13th studio album called Mirage. Like most of their albums, it had a few singles, but Gypsy was the big one, right? Yeah, Gypsy was that huge hit. So I'm back. Hold Me, which years later would come back as a TikTok video. That's so bizarre that that (laughs) happened. I don't know what else to say other than that's really bizarre. A cool dude on a skateboard with a bottle of cranberry sauce and uh, Fleetwood Mac playing. Yeah, man. Billion hits. So here they are. They're holding together on through, right? The core group of five have been together for a while now. And despite all the troubles, they seem to have survived all the tumultuous personal stuff that, you know, kind of intermixed into the band business and all that. They get through the Tusk thing. They get that live album out. Hey, they're back on a roll with Mirage. Yeah, it was a good album. By that point, my music taste had changed a little bit. I had been more in the punk alternative ska scene. And so while I 
enjoyed Fleetwood Mac and never, ever would ever turn away from them. I didn't follow them as closely as I had in the 70s when I was younger and listening to Tuscan Rumors a whole lot more. But it's a nice album, and I got to listen to it this last week, and it's a beautiful record. They really have put out consistently great records over the decades. And you have to say, this is one of the bands where membership has its privileges. Just ask Dave Mason, who was in the band for a while in 1995. Becker Bramlett, the same year. That's when Lindsay and Stevie both left, right? Or how about Billy Burnett and Rick Vito, who were in the 80s and the 90s? Neil Finn and Mike Campbell, who are in the band now, for whatever that means. These guys all can say, hey, I was a member of Fleetwood Mac. You know what I didn't know? Campbell had been co-writer and a contributor during the 80s period. I had worked a little bit with them and done some stuff with them long before he ever thought he would be a member of Fleetwood Mac. Pretty interesting, right? So the band has been holding together, and then there's a five-year break. There are solo records. We could do an episode just about Stevie Nicks' solo career at some point. She takes off, and then... Tango in the night. And they're back to multi-platinum, back to big hits. One, two, three hits in a row, including a renewed hit for Christine on Everywhere. Can you hear me calling out your name? You know that I'm falling and I don't know what to say. I'll speak a little louder, I'll even shout. And the great thing about Everywhere is somebody put it in a commercial last year, and it was beautiful to have something like that happening for somebody who I hold in such high regard as a singer and as a person. To have that little kiss, not knowing she'd been sick, it was beautiful, like an exclamation point at the end of her life. Little Lies on that album, too. Another one of my favorites, Sweet Little Lies. I did a whole dig into the artwork on that album because I had no idea what the heck it was. And then I started reading and the painting was actually done by Sir Brett Livingston Strong of Australia. He did this painting and it was hanging on the wall at Lindsay Buckingham's house, apparently for a long time. And this guy is such a cool dude. Aside from this painting and it ending up on a Fleetwood Mac cover, he was commissioned to do a bust of John Wayne's face on a hundred ton boulder that fell onto the Pacific Coast Highway in Malibu. 
And uh, Strong sold that sculpture for $1.13 million to a company in Arizona who then shipped it to the Lubbock Christian University in Lubbock, Texas. I tell you this because this is the guy who did the painting. He also is known for doing a life-size bronze statue of John Lennon entitled Imagine. So you see, this is a real artist guy who did historic stuff and did other rock stuff. And he's the guy who did the painting that Lindsay liked so much that he had it on his wall and put it on the album. If you're wondering where all that came from, there's your answer. And this is where the membership thing starts to kick in a little bit, Marcus. Shit happens. Band changes for the first time in a long time. Lindsay exits. He does guitar on Behind the Mask and is replaced by two guitars, Billy Burnett and Rick Vito. Sales drop. And that's where Mike Campbell co-writes a song with Stevie called Freedom. There's time in 1995, and I think they might have been asking themselves, is it time to go? Because things weren't really clicking. Five years between albums, more changes. Stevie's leaving for her solo career. Rick Vito leaves. Enter Dave Mason and Becca Bramlett. And that lasts for about a year. But still, Lindsay's doing backing tracks on a song here and there. And Time will be Christine's last studio album with the band until 2014. But first, The Dance. It was one of the most successful live albums of the era. It helped the band to reach a second pinnacle after rumors by selling five times platinum in the U.S. Part of what made it so big, Marcus, I don't know if you were a big VH1 fan in those days, but the video of that must have aired every weekend for a couple of years there. And then the revolving door spins again, and who's standing in the lobby, Marcus, but Lindsey Buckingham, he's back! It's the return of Lindsey Buckingham, and 2003 Say You Will, the band reduced to a quartet with some side help, Stevie, Lindsey, John and Mick, with Cheryl Crow and Christine McVie helping out on some keyboards. Lindsay's back, but sales aren't stellar. There's a live album. It doesn't do so well. They also did an extended play EP in 2013 to no avail. It sure looked like the end of the road. Christine, who'd made noise about enjoying the life of a granny, decides to rejoin the band, and they tour together to amazing results. That's when I got to see them, when Christine came back, and they sounded great. They looked great. I'd seen Stevie solo, and loving Christine as much as you know I do, Mm -hmm. or did, it was great to see her in fine form when she came back. But things start to drift. It's one of those bands, man. seems like the lineup can't stay too stable for too long. It gets an itch, like the Mac. It gets an itch. And Finn and Mike joined in 2018, but the members drifted, and we lost the songbird. Still sad about that, bro. Still gets me all the time. So here we are. And it leaves me with a lot of questions, as it often does when we finish an episode on a band that still has lots of living members ready to go out and do stuff. Is it over, given the fluid nature of Fleetwood Mac? Who knows? I think it may be over for them as a band, but I think we might see a few celebration performances over the next few years. Would the band have enjoyed the California Kiss earlier in their career if they'd moved before they did? And what if they never moved? I would say no, and if they never moved, we would never have had Rumors, or we would have never had the White Album or Tusk, because... Yeah, for any of those, right, right. They would have stayed in the bluesy realm over on the other side of the pond, coming over here to open up for bands and headline a few small tours as well, but I don't think we would have gotten the Fleetwood Mac that we know. And I guess the last question I have is, would or could the band have succeeded to the level they did if Peter Green had stayed? No. I kind of agree with you. I think he was too pure, too good, and 
and just there was something that wasn't there for him to be at that level. I don't know how to explain it other than that. I think that maybe he wanted it, but he didn't have that thing that it takes, even though he could play like nobody's business. Think about the key signatures or the chords or the majors and the minors, but the difference between someone who sings the blues and someone who sings a song as positive as Don't Stop Thinking About Tomorrow. Those two kind of show the different sides or the distance between the sides of Fleetwood Mac's musical identity from the early days to their peak. So I guess it's a big old no there. And you're right. I don't think if they'd moved earlier, it would have made them get success earlier. They had to hit the path they were on and stay on it. And they did that despite all odds for an awful long time, considering what was stacked up against them for longevity's sake. I think when you boil it all down to it, when bands have success and they stop having success, A lot of times it's caused by the death of a member or the departure of the key writing team. This band succeeded beyond what they expected to do, beyond their dreams. And here they are, aging rock heroes, and four-fifths of the band is still with us. So I never say never, but I suspect they've all done well enough to enjoy that Mai Tai on the veranda wherever they are today. Thank you all, all however many of you have been in Fleetwood Mac. Thank you all for all the music for all the years and uh, especially the core five from the mid 70s moving forward just so much great music so much joy well if you've listened this far you're definitely a fan of Fleetwood Mac so we'd love to hear from you your feedback on what we've been talking about or give us some information that maybe we missed it's always good to hear from you guys you can leave a comment via our website imbalancedhistory.com you can email us imbalancedhistory at gmail.com you can hit us on social media Facebook Twitter, Instagram, The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. Product of Dark Duck Media on the Pantheon Podcast Network. Till the next time we get together and do this crazy thing, I'm Ray Coob. I'm Marcus Goldman. Don't stop thinking about tomorrow, bro. This is The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.